Radio Free Brooklyn. We obviously need your help. We need your help on so many levels. But if you can go donate to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate, that would be great. So I'm going to tell you who's here today. It's um, Shirley Weir, who uh, is is um, the um, she she wrote a book and she is the. She is menopause chicks. That's who she is. She started this whole organization and um, she wrote a book about it. And we're here to talk about how to get, take the shame. There's shame around menopause, right, Shirley? Uh Uh-oh, we can't hear Shirley again. Okay, so if I unmute my phone, does that work? Okay, that's better. Okay, so there's shame around menopause, Shirley, right? No, I can't hear you again. There are definitely myths and misconceptions, and we're going to straighten the straighten that out today. Headphones on. Put your put your headphones on. I don't have headphones. Okay. So anyway, all right. Um, we haven't used Zoom in a while, I guess. But anyway, the thing is, is that. You know, we've got to get, we've got to talk about menopause because people are not, women, it's not just women, it's not just a women's issue. It's it's a people's issue. Menopause is not cool. It's not sexy. It's not disgust. It's hidden. And the more it's hidden, the more women the more women are going to have pressure to get their tits done and all sorts of plastic surgery and try and fake youth. And and this is, and I'm going to explain why that is, because we need to sell, you know, it's not just accept women aging, it's we need to be good with it. We need to understand that smart women are valuable, sexy in their in a in the way that uh, in a in a in a in a, not in a idealized social way. Young women have a lot of pressure about their looks. All women have pressure about their looks, and until we can be valued as the human fabulous human beings we are, instead of sexual objects, that's what we need to do, right, Shirley? Absolutely. Okay, so Shirley, why don't you explain your organization a bit and uh, where where you where you are now as far as what you're trying to do and what you have accomplished, which is a lot. Go ahead. Well, absolutely. Thank you. Um, Menopause Chicks was founded based on my own journey of basically turning to Doctor Google at three o'clock in the morning and being really disappointed with the information that I found there and the lack of community that existed. So the information that I found was primarily negative. Um, As you mentioned, menopause is a bit of a social construct. We need to reframe it and redefine it. And so I decided to crack open the conversation. That's where the chick part comes in and really speak to women who are smart and savvy 
and looking for quality information to prioritize our health. And so uh, we have an online community. We have 38,000 members. And what we do there is direct women to the best information. Um, we also direct them to a health team that can support them on their journey. That might be your doctor. It might be another team of health professionals to support you. And then of course, women are great at holding up each other. And so it's a community where you know you will find women who are the same as you or similar, or maybe traveled the journey ahead of you. Um, basically what it does is it validates our experiences and makes sure that women know that they're not alone. What do you think is the obstacle? Do you, I mean, do you agree with me? I think there's shame around menopause. Well, I, I agree with you in part. So if we can back that up, I would say, why is there shame? And the reason that there is shame around menopause, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, society wanting to us to fear aging and, you know, not valuing women as we get older. But I think the real reason why there's shame in particular around menopause is that it's misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And we need to start with a definition. Okay. The definition, and what you, of, mm -hmm. the definition of menopause, it's one day. It's the 12 month anniversary of our very last period. If we use an analogy of this being a journey and we're all on a similar journey, menopause is a stop sign. It signifies the end of menstruation. That's it. Full stop. That's it. Mm -hmm. What happens on the journey before you reach that stop sign and after you look both ways and sail through it is sometimes there are great views. Sometimes there's this amazing scenic um, journey and you're like, wow, this is great. And other times there are potholes and we're all susceptible to, you know, being able to enjoy the journey and the, the scenes. And what I mean by that is, you know, living your best life but we're also susceptible to a couple potholes along the way. And those potholes can be the result of not taking care of ourselves from a lifestyle perspective. You know, maybe we're not eating, moving and sleeping the best we can. It could be from hormone imbalance. It could be from lack of nutrition, or it could be other things like thyroid imbalance or the big one, Lisa, is stress. Mm-hmm. What about that? Well, the big learning for me personally was that stress or our cortisol hormone. So it's also, a, you know, an, mm -hmm. an element of our hormone health is it can wreak havoc on our female hormones. And we already know that stress can wreak havoc on how we eat, you know, who hasn't gone to the cupboard and scrounged around for some carbs, right? It can wreak havoc on how we move or don't move and how we sleep, um, how we navigate our relationships, how we show up for work. For me, I was yelling at my kids. I was like full on monster mom. Mm -hmm. And that's not who I am. And mm -hmm. I realized, whoa, my stress was way out of control. But the confusing part is that I really wanted to blame something. I wanted to blame perimenopause. Oh, your mom is losing her shit because she's going through perimenopause. In did you, reality, did you say that to your kids? Yeah. In reality, I was losing my shit because I was sleep deprived. 
I was depressed. I was running a business. I was raising kids. I was looking after my aging mother. And I'm not unique in this. I know all your listeners in some way, shape or form can probably identify with those things. Well, you know, the thing is, um, we're talking about a couple of things here. First of all, um, you deal with um, people who are really aware of menopause and perimenopause. I mean, you're an expert, you're a specialist, right? Right. And yeah. I appreciate that because, you know, that that you understand the science and the medicine and stuff like that. Are You're not a, a are you a doctor? I am not. I'm not no. a health professional. You're like me. I'm a woman's health advocate. Yeah. I, I've become specialized because I've been doing this for 10 years. Right. When I was turning to Dr. Google at three in the morning 10 years ago, I was anything but an expert. Right, you know right, I mean? right. Like I'm a self-proclaimed psychotherapist. Everybody knows <laughs> that. I'm, I don't hide that. So, but I, but I do pick up on a lot. So I get it. We're in the same, but we're in the same, uh, you know, business here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and this is going to, I, I don't, with all respect, but, and I don't have kids, so I, I am postmenopausal. I, I mean, everybody, I've made that clear on this show before. So, um, as am I. Okay. Yeah. So we're not, we're not pretending by any means, but I think that women give themselves a bad rap when they blame, themselves when they blame mm. themselves for being perimenopausal i think that i think that menopause um i think menopause has gotten when when i'm really interested in is how can we change the image of menopause and get it out of being such a fuddy duddy thing and make it into more of a wise woman kind of um you know, uh, you know, like a graduation or something yes. like, and like a celebration, a celebration. And I really love one thing that you just said was that there is a specific date. Now that's a great idea, right? Because it is, and I knew this myself, is that it's exactly consider well, you know, a, a year after you get your last period, right? Yeah. Yeah. So here's my new idea from you is that yeah. we should have a celebration of menopause when you go through that day and announce it. Yep. I, I hosted one online. Okay. Uh, you've years, done that. Yeah. Five years ago, I hosted the first ever online menopause graduation party. Um, and I invited everyone to come on a Zoom call. And I just kind of acknowledged the fact that it was my my menopause and that I had arrived and that I was really looking forward, you know, we're in post-menopause for the rest of our lives. I know, so you know, we're the first generation of women to reach 50. I'm 54. I'll be 55 in, uh, in February. Uh -huh. And um, I reached menopause at age 49. And I was like, okay, listen, you got 50, 51 more years. What are you going to do with the, with that time? So I wanted to have a party. <laughs> Good for you. See, that's what we're saying. You've done it. Yeah. yeah. So how did that feel? Was that, how did people react? Yeah. So it's really interesting, Lisa. I would say um, people that I don't know really responded positively. I got a lot of support from media. I got a lot of support from the community at large 
One of the surprising things, though, and this, I think, kind of gets to where you're going with your, you know, your curiosity around this subject, and that is some of my closest friends put their hand in my face and said, whoa, Shirley, I'm not there yet. Don't talk to me about it yet. I'm online dating. Please don't post anything on my Facebook page about menopause. I mean, I heard it all. And those things that I heard, I heard from some of my closest friends. And I found that really interesting Mm -hmm. from a social construct point of view, because I realized this is the answer to your question. What can we do to normalize or change the definition of menopause? And that is we need to start talking about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And perimenopause, which is the five to 15 years leading up to that party, um, that term was only coined in 1996. Mm-hmm. So that's really new in the mm-hmm. whole, in the scheme of things, in the medical world, even in the media world. 96 is not that long ago. Many of our healthcare professionals were educated before 96. Mm-hmm. And perimenopause, like it isn't really even in the dictionary yet. Like mm-hmm. it's still, we're still learning. There's hardly any research. So if we want to change the definition of menopause, we got to back it up at least by 15 years. In my case, I have an 18 year old daughter and a 21 year old son. So they're learning about it, you know, now, and they've kind of grown up with the vocabulary and the definitions, but the answer to how we do it, it's going to take a generation. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's really funny, like when you learn about, it's kind of analogous to learning about the period, right? So when you learn about the period as a, um, you know, adolescent, you're in a room full of people learning about the period. When you go through menopause, which is not all that dissimilar, you've just, it's emotionally... You know, I mean, it's not as dramatic, maybe in a certain way, because you're not looking at a pair of underpants full of blood. I said it. I'm not afraid to. But the thing is, is that uh, it's not dramatic in that way, but it is dramatic in other ways. And we are told to shut up about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even I'm going to say this, Phil, and I'm pissed at you. Even my whole, my whole, my my own husband, who I consider, you know, pretty enlightened, he does not want to hear the word menopause. Really? And I wonder if, um, I wonder if sometimes I think it's merely the word. I think the whole thing needs to be reframed. Like when you say menstruation, menstruation, that sounds so medical and gross. But when you say period or rag or any of those other things, it's, it sounds, you know, it sounds more, it sounds less serious. It doesn't sound like a medical condition. Menopause is not a medical condition. It's not a medical condition. And language, you're so right. Language and words really matter. So if we, either one of us were to walk out on the street right now and put a microphone in someone's face and say the word menopause, whether they spoke these words or we just looked at that big thought bubble, you know, that rises above someone's head when you say the word, we're going to hear hot, old, tired, bitchy, and fat. And the reason we're going to hear or see those words is because I think that uh, media, myths, misconceptions, and even the medical community has fed us those connotations. 
Mm-hmm. for a very long time. And it's not dissimilar from a story I heard. You mentioned, you know, children, when they learn about getting your period for the first time, I heard, uh, uh, I think it was on Instagram, about this dad, you know, that went out and bought his daughter Midol, which is like, for, you know, a pain right. uh, relief medication for for cramps and PMS. And, and the Instagram community was praising this dad. Oh, what a woke dad he was. And I was like, Really? So all we're saying to 12-year-old girls is expect to suffer. And then that message of expect to suffer carries through with us for 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly right. And we are not meant to suffer. No, no. I mean, there are physical yeah. sure. challenges or whatever. But we, we, you know, we talk about it in a, in a medical way. And yeah. so are there any other words? Have you heard any cool hip words for menopause? Well, I don't, I mean, that's interesting. When I started Menopause Chicks 10 years ago, I'll be honest with you, I was considering other words. And then what it really came down to is the number of Google searches for menopause was extraordinarily high that I knew I really, I, I couldn't change the words. So I ha- I just have to work right. really hard to change the definition around it. And right. it's one of the reasons why my mission is to empower women to navigate this phase of life with confidence and ease. Mm-hmm. And those are two words that rarely get associated, but you know, the tide is shifting. Women are getting answers from our community that, you know, that's supporting their health journey, that's really helping them get informed so that they can then take care of themselves in a way that they deserve. And they're doing that with more confidence and with more ease. And I think that's, you know, that's really a positive uh, Mm -hmm. shift in the conversation. What what are the most common things that obstacles emotionally physically what do women what do women are getting to meet each other on your on your yeah. site right you've connected and through your book um say the name of your book uh, please it's, it's called mokita how to navigate perimenopause with confidence and ease right and it's spelled weird <laughs> mokita is actually a word about you know the elephant in the room it's a word mm-hmm. from papua new guinea that means the truth we all know but choose not to speak of hmm. and menopause is one is a, an example of a mokita oh that might be a good substitute that may be the word i've been trying to find mokita yeah. i i've gone through mokita yeah it might be the word but you know so what really- i'm sorry interrupted me yeah. i interrupted you um, that's, uh, what, what, what are the, what are the most common issues that people, that women are dealing with? I'm taking a deep breath. Cause it's a, it's a long list. Yeah. Just you know, like, give me three, the, give me three. Yeah, we have, we only so have an hour. The most common experience in perimenopause and the least discussed is irregular or heavy bleeding. So women are surprised to hear that the period just doesn't shut off. Now, for some women, it does, but for the for a lot of women, for seventy percent of women, uh, they experience heavy bleeding before they start missing periods, and so mm. that is a big conversation. Another big conversation is sleep, mm-hmm. and sleep falls into that category mm-hmm. that I was mentioning earlier. Earlier, is it stress? Is it lifestyle? Is it hormones? Mm-hmm. And the answer is that it's a Rubik's cube. 
You know, we're all, we're all these things are interacting and what suffers a lot is our sleep, either having trouble falling asleep or having trouble staying asleep. Mm -hmm. And that is a biggie. And then the third one I would say is probably related to our sex lives. So libido uh, or loss of or lack of libido, low sexual desire, common for all of us. Um, I have a really great expert that I work with and she helped me redefine libido because so many women misinterpret it as something that you either have or you don't. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that sexual desire is like happiness. Sometimes, you know, we're a three and sometimes we're a seven, but it's on a spectrum. Right. Uh, and so is sexual desire. And uh, and I think a lot of women, you know, they get really scared once they lose their desire, uh, whether they have a partner or not. Um, they kind of see that as the beginning of the end or an inevitable part of aging. And I am here to tell you that it's it is not. Either. It's neither. (laughs) And see, I think a lot of that is psychological because I think we're told not to feel sexy. I mean, part of it is real. No, I mean, every and but men go through it, too. It's part of aging. And that's the other thing. It's something that has been totally um, shifted onto women and and men lose testosterone and that affects them. And they they're not. I believe they're not talking about it. I believe like there's a lot of men out there. You know who you are, buddy, taking (laughs) testosterone and or feeling the need to and not wanting to talk about it. It's aging in general, but I think a lot of the anxiety about aging is projected onto women. Um, there is a topic I want to talk about um, that I think is important that is not discussed is dry vaginas. Yes, that now, is a big one. Now, I have gone down the road on that myself. Um, I don't know if you... You, I'll, I'll tell you my experience and you can let me know if, you know, I'll tell you what I came up with. Um, I, well, I went, I had a problem. I mean, it was fucking dry. Okay. And, uh, which is normal too. And then, you know, you use lubricant, but you don't have to use a condom, which is great. So that helps. But, um, I actually had, uh, what they call the Mona Lisa touch procedure which sounds really corny but I had like a vaginal it's like some kind of treatment like they do to your face like skin right do you know you know about it don't you it's laser therapy I do know quite a bit about it okay so I didn't really help me and I complained to the guy and he gave me a tube of lidocaine do you know what you know what that is lidocaine is a topical analgesic and I put a little dab of linocaine in there before we go at it. And that has solved everything. And see, people, for me, you're making, she's making a face. So what do you, what's, what, tell me your reaction to that. Well, I'm going to back it up and help your listeners understand why you would be experiencing vaginal dryness, because it is an under-discussed topic as well. So, our bodies naturally produce estrogen for let's say 40 years and our bodies also naturally produce hyaluronic acid 
I don't know if you're familiar with hyaluronic acid, but mm. it's a naturally occurring molecule. And in two thousand, in the early two thousands, it became approved for cosmetics. So if you've ever seen a moisturizer for your face uh, that lists hyaluronic acid as a as an ingredient, um, that's what started this. And then. Um, just in 2013, and then again in 2021, the International Society of Gynecologists started recommending hyaluronic acid as the first line of treatment for vulva and vaginal dryness. So what happens is in our 30s and 40s, hyaluronic acid starts to decline, and then it declines significantly post-menopause. Same happens with estrogen. Estrogen is high in perimenopause, so that could be age 35 to 50, and progesterone is generally low. But when we reach menopause, that 12-month anniversary of our last period, estrogen also goes for a deep dive. And estrogen is our juicy hormone. It's responsible for keeping our eyes moist and our joints moist and our mouth moist. And it's also responsible for keeping our vagina moist. So if the, those are the two possible reasons and they happen in synchronicity, unfortunately. And the thing with vaginal dryness is it's the one thing that won't get better with time. So it always um, involves some interaction, some either proactive or reactive treatment. The good news is that vaginal dryness can be resolved. So if you're already ex experiencing it, it's not a foregone conclusion that you have to suffer for the rest of your life. There are definitely viable solutions. And one of those solutions for some women, um, if they are able to and not experiencing too much pain, is to have sex to have lots of sex and lots of orgasms because the energy that's sent to the pelvic floor actually supports the production of natural moisture. Other, other ways are to use localized estrogen therapy from your doctor, to moisturize with hyaluronic acid, to um, even explore laser treatments like you mentioned, which mm -hmm. could be in-home laser or red light therapy or in your physician's office like the Mona Lisa touch. My, mine wasn't very helpful. Have you heard good results from other people? Well, I mean- It's I expensive. Know, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know a lot of women who have pursued uh, laser therapy with their physician because it is so expensive. So getting a prescription for localized estrogen therapy is uh, one option that women will use because it is more affordable. And um, we co-created a hyaluronic acid moisturizer um, that's compounded by a pharmacy. You can go to moisturizeyourvagina.com and learn about that. And this is like a preventative and uh, reactive treatment for mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. um, it's because our community members like yourself spoke up. And, you know, I didn't even know when I started menopause chicks that I was going to be doing this kind of deep dive on the vaginal health and how important it is, not just for our sex lives, but it's important that we can eat or sorry, eat. Oh my God. <laughs> Lost my train of thought for a second. Um, it's important that we can sit comfortably and move comfortably, go to yoga. It's also important that we can ward off urinary tract infections mm -hmm. and uh, prevent incontinence because mm -hmm. those are two things that we do not want to be dealing with for the next 30 to 50 years. Right. But I mean, the point is also is that there's a, a, 
it is it is an issue, just like using condoms and birth control and all that stuff when you're young. So yeah. it's an issue and there are multiple options. And if we know about them and we make them widely available, uh, we women would have would be able to use them. I mean, one one thing about menopause that I've noticed is I've become I know a lot of people that know me won't agree, but I've become a lot more emotionally stable. I had terrible PMS. And when I was younger, like I look at Hillary Clinton, she can probably do her job because she's postmenopausal. You know, a lot of young, when I was young, it, I mean, I had huge roller coasters of emotions. Have you heard that from other women? Um. Yeah, I mean, I would be careful not to say that women uh, in perimenopause can't hold down important jobs. No, I, I, I know that's a joke. Um, that's a joke. Yeah. Uh, but I think that we, you know, I love this platform that you're you're cracking open the conversation on because it allows us to really point to the benefits. Mm-hmm. And I think too often, if you ask a woman about the benefits of reaching menopause, she might say lack of period, like lack of the inconvenience of having a, a monthly period. She might say lack of birth control and sort of that freedom of not having to worry about birth control anymore. And then there's a tiny conversation that's starting as a result of shows like yours. And that is un, um, confidence, like unbridled confidence, like we've never seen before. Yes. Women will, t- women will tell me that their bullshit meter is now like they can detect BS in anyone that they're talking to and they just won't take it anymore. Yes. That that is really cool. And women will say that for the first time in their lives, they're putting their own name at the top of the to-do list. Yes. And it's so exciting to see that. Exactly. Menopause is empowering. And also I find it in a big relief. And I've heard this from many other women, um, to not be um, in a, you know, in a position of being evaluated on your sexuality. Like I can talk to all the, I make these jokes. I like to talk, I can talk to any really cute, hot young guy and I'm not worrying he's going to think I'm trying to pick him up, which I wasn't before either. (laughs) You know, I wasn't necessarily, but now there's no issue. I'm not in competition for my looks or any of that stuff I've actually in better shape I mean I'm actually in better shape now I think physically I mean because I have more time mentally too right like the mental Mm -hmm. emotional connection it's like a little uh light switch goes on and makes that happen for us Mm -hmm. um and then there's like the another conversation that's happening where you know women are turning 50 and they're running for office they're starting businesses they're switching careers which I think is you know it's quite a new phenomenon because a hundred years ago women didn't live much past 51. Mm-hmm. So menopause really wasn't much of a, an issue. It was like you had your children young and then you died at 50. Well, we're in a whole new ball game now. We're the first generation of women to turn 50 and have 50 more years to plan for. Mm-hmm. So women are changing careers. They are really stopping and, and saying, how do I want to invest not just my money and my time, but how do I want to invest in my bones? 
I, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to get osteoporosis. How do I want to invest in my vaginal health? How mm-hmm. do I want to make sure that I have a healthy heart going forward and brain, right? So mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. exciting to, mm-hmm. to um, have that paradigm mm-hmm. shift. You know, I always think that it would be great if like some, like Paulina Porzakova, I follow her, you know, the model. She's like in her mid fifties and yeah. she's, she's a really great example of a beautiful old lady who um, wears her age proudly and is an advocate for, you know, women aging and being powerful and sexy. Um, but I don't think there's enough of that. Not enough. And and when, when, when are we going to get to, like, how can we get to that? How can we get to, how can we get to society talking about that? How do we get there? That's my frustration. Yeah, I mean, I like that we're seeing, I know that there's small examples, but I do like that we're seeing more roles written for older women. Um, and, you know, the likes of Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, like they said it themselves, in order to, to have those roles in their 50s, they had to write them themselves. And that brings it back to the empowerment that you were talking about, mm-hmm. right? So we need that triple down effect of just seeing more women 50 60 70 plus um in that empowering role model position Mm -hmm. i also think that our society deals terribly with um the concept of death yeah and i think that's kind of kind of behind a lot of a lot of this i think that you know death is normal and all that other stuff, but I think that is a lot is repressed a lot, and that when they hear the word, people are afraid. If you're getting old, I'm going to catch it. I'm going to catch being old. Is that the feeling you got from your friends? Yeah, well, and the word that you said was afraid. It's it's fear based, right? There's only two emotions, love or fear, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh. And and that's where that's the root cause of all of this anti-aging and all this, you know, negativity around. And it and it I'm I'm sadly has focused directly on women for a good part of our history. Mm-hmm. So we get a chance to rewrite it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like every everybody everybody out there has to take has to like and we're raising the we're trying to raise some consciousness folks right uh and and a a lot of it is just creating awareness and accept it's creating awareness and acceptance what do you think about i've thought that it would be a when we teach boys and girls about adolescence about their bodies changing i think that would be a great time to integrate what happens when they get older yeah you know this comes up um a few times for me and i think that that is great Uh, i'm certainly teaching my children about that um it's a bit of a challenge because there are so many gaps in the health conversation like this is just one of mm-hmm. many so right now the best i know about health or sex education in elementary or middle school is that first they teach us how to ha- make a baby and then they teach us how not to make a baby right? <laughs> they cover the birth control and then that's kind of at grade seven 
that's the end of the story. There's not many more health classes past grade seven mm-hmm. that teach. And I'm not just talking about menopause and the end of menstruation, but sure. that teach teach women pleasure or teach men pleasure right. or teach women how to prioritize pleasure in their life. And like, there's a, so many conversations um, and we've, like you alluded to earlier, we've kind of medicalized it um, and taken it to this, well, birth control, that becomes then a conversation you have to have with your doctor, but we don't actually teach conversations, how mm-hmm. to have an informed conversation around this topic. Mm. So maybe menopause has sort of gotten um, a short shrift because we yeah. just don't want to talk about sex. Could be. And and health. Could be. I mean, Absolutely. That's a big that's a big part of it. We don't want to talk about having sex often. Sometimes we don't want to talk about not having sex. Right. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Um I think that um like I was reading about the history of menopause and um a lot of things um according to what I've read, I don't know, you can help you're you know more than I do, Shirley. But uh I read in nineteen sixty six this this person, Dr. Robert Wilson, published this book, Feminine Forever. Mm-hmm. And he persuaded to for women to avoid the living decay caused mm-hmm. by do you know about this? Caused by estrogen and and he uh peppered his book with unflattering descriptions of menopausal woman as flabby, desexed, with shrunken breasts and general. So that was 1966. Oh, yeah. And and, and there was this huge, um, um, you know, shift to get women to take hormones, right? Yes. And what did we learn from taking those hormones? Well, I mean. Cancer. Oh, well, I don't, that's, that's a myth. I mean, hormones are produced, produced naturally by our body, you know, from our teens to our fifties. And Mm -hmm. we are now learning since that book was written in 1966, the important benefits and contribution that hormone balance brings to our heart, our brain, our bones, and our pelvic health, our vaginal health. And mm -hmm. yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to, I'm asking about, do you see, um, I have been told or I'm under the impression that taking hormones can give you cancer, breast cancer. You think that's a myth? It's totally a myth. Read the book called Estrogen Matters. It's written by Dr. Blooming and Carol Travis, and they break down what a public relations debacle came out of the Women's Health Initiative that led us all to think that taking hormones causes cancer. Really? Yeah. So the latest positioning statement from the North American Menopause Society, which is from 2017, um, really, I think, outlines it best for your listeners. And that is we are all individual human beings. So I don't know what your potential for getting breast cancer is. You don't know what my potential. I can tell you the biggest risk for getting breast cancer is having breasts. That's the the number one risk. Yeah, well, for sure. And then there might be a plethora of other reasons like standing in front of a microwave oven or for some of us adding estrogen that you don't 
your body doesn't need Ah. might be a risk, but you need, so what the North American menopause society, their current positioning statement is conduct a risk assessment with your healthcare professional. And that risk assessment is going to look at, do you have cancer? If you already have cancer, well, then they might not recommend hormone therapy, but they're also going to look at things like, do you have high blood pressure? Do you have high cholesterol? What is your overall health picture look like? And then how can we restore your quality of life now that you are not producing the same levels of estrogen and progesterone that you used to produce in your 20s, 30s and 40s? And that's a really important conversation to have with a hormone balance expert. And I have four questions that I always encourage our members to go into those appointments with. And one is, am I taking the right hormones for my age and stage? Because we do not need estrogen when we're in perimenopause. Estrogen is generally high. It's Mm -hmm. progesterone that's dropped. But then we reach menopause and that estrogen goes for a deep dive. And so we might have to have a different conversation about, am I taking the right hormones? The second question is, what is the right dose that I should be taking for my age and stage? A 49-year-old might need a different dose than a 62-year-old. The third question is, what is the mode of delivery that my body will absorb best Mm. if I want to protect my uterine lining, my bones, Mm -hmm. my brain? Mm -hmm. I might, um, my body might do better with oral progesterone as opposed to transdermal or vaginal. So Mm -hmm. everyone again is different. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth question is, What's the next time you'd like to see me back so we can continue to talk, you know, prioritize and talk about my hormone health when I'm 55, 60, mm-hmm. 65, right? So we always have to be um, understanding that hormones are going to continue to fluctuate and that Rubik's cube is always going to need to be adjusted. Mm-hmm. And we can support mm-hmm. our hormone health with eating well and sleeping well and taking care of our thyroid and making sure we're, you know, got adequate magnesium and iron and omega threes and all those things. But we can also have comfort in the fact that there are legitimate hormone therapies that can support our health because, you know, we don't want to get, we want to get to a hundred. Mm-hmm. We want to get to a hundred if we're feeling great on yeah. the way. On the journey. Well, Quality of quality. life is something. It's not just about quality. lasting. It's quality of life is everything. Quality is everything. So what are, so um, I don't know much about, um, you know, what, have you taken uh, hormones? I haven't heard people who have taken hormones. I mean, obviously I thought they were bad. So what? tell yeah. us about the benefits of them. Well, I'll tell you a couple stories if we have time. Um, my we have 15 story- minutes. My sister's story is the first chapter of my book, and uh, she is 10 years older than I am. She reached menopause at age 36 because she had cancer as a child. And so the radiation treatments that she had as a child destroyed a lot of her egg follicles. She reached, she got her period when she was 18. She stopped her period at 36. Mm. She is now a healthy 65 year old Mm. and has been taking hormones since age 36 as an investment in her heart, brain, bone, and vaginal health. Mm. That's really important. For me, um, my story is not like her story. I reached 48 uh, and had a conversation with my naturopath and said, you know, I believe I would really 
benefit from some extra support here. And my experience was really rooted in the anxiety, the depression, and the sleep deprivation, and the brain fog. Those were the things that were debilitating for me. And I knew that I deserve quality of life, especially if I wanted to continue looking after my mom and the two kids, right? Like mm-hmm. so many of us in that sandwich generation. And so I was still in perimenopause. My naturopath prescribed uh, progesterone, uh, which is bioidentical. I started taking it first two weeks didn't feel great, went back to her and said, look, I'm getting headaches for the first time. She said, oh, I know exactly what that's about, where you're going to tweak the dose. And then I was fine. And then it's something that I review every year. Now I reached menopause a couple of years after that. And of course, then my dose, my um, the hormones, the dose and the mode of delivery that I take the hormone therapy every day uh, has changed, but it's an individual process. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I really don't intend on ever quitting. (laughs) Mm. So, so you feel like it's really helped you physically and and emotionally or? It's totally helped me uh, mentally and emotionally. Um, I use an inverted pyramid in the workshops that I teach because hormone therapy is not a magic wand. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want your listeners to think, oh, I'll just jump to that. Right. And I'll and I can still right. eat drive through food and abuse, you know, my sleep processes and all of that. So the top layer is really focusing on lifestyle, which supports natural hormone production and then managing stress. Like can't emphasize that enough because cortisol if it's out of balance, it will wreak havoc on our female hormones. It will significantly impact our ability um, to sleep, to want to have sex, to enjoy sex, all those good things. Um, and then for a lot of the women that I meet in my community, um, they're deficient in certain nutrition supplements Mm. that you might not be thinking of. Like, for example, I worked with a a hormone nurse. She's really a popular health professional in our community. And she taught me about magnesium. So most North Americans don't get enough magnesium. And magnesium is really supportive of mood and of sleep. Mm. So you might be able to, I'm not saying magnesium will fix your hormone imbalance if that's the root cause, but it will definitely support your mood, your sleep and many other bodily, you know, it has over a hundred bodily functions. So what, what I'm hearing you say is you really need to have your particular situation appraised and um, to have a really tailored plan for, for, for every individual. And who do you go to a naturopath? Oh, well, I mean, you need to work with someone who understands hormones and how they work in our body. Mm -hmm. That might be your family physician. It might be a naturopathic doctor. It might be someone like the hormone nurse who's a, you know, she was a registered nurse in an emergency room, very high stress situation, Mm -hmm. had her own journey in her forties and then went and became educated in hormone balance and now just works Mm -hmm. every day with women. And that Mm -hmm. might be navigating perimenopause or menopause, but it might be with women who are much younger, who have PMS, who have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, who are dealing with, um, you know, hormone imbalances at a much younger Mm -hmm. age. And that is becoming quite, quite predominant in our society. You know, there's something you've talked about twice and, and each time it, 
makes me go like, well, what are we supposed to do about that? And that's Mm. stress, stress management. I mean, stress management to me seems like trying to, you know, manage it is just more stress. Like, how can we get out? Like, that's ridiculous. To me, that makes me upset because I'm like, well, what the fuck do you want me to do? You know, like that just sounds impossible. Can I just say that um, I don't always practice what I preach? (laughs) (laughs) Like I say these things because I need to hear them. Mm -hmm. Like every time I say stress management, it's like I do need to hear that. But it's um, it's an opportunity for us. We're sitting at this window of opportunity to maybe learn a new language, like how we talk about stress. Maybe it's about saying no to invitations and and people in our lives who are asking us for things that they could do on their own. Maybe that would lower our stress. Maybe it's yoga. Maybe it's learning a practice of mindfulness. I can tell you, you know, sometimes I'll say meditation and women will roll their eyes, but we actually don't understand that taking a walk in the forest or in a green space is a form of meditation. Yeah, that, that works will, for me. That will lower your cortisol. It lowers my cortisol. So I have a dog and I walk my dog in a forest every day. And I don't sit and meditate. I am not one of those people that does that, but I want to be one of those people. It's just that you have to start somewhere. And so if walking in a green space lowers your cortisol, that is going to be good for your hormone health. Right, right, right. So once again, it's one of those things that you have to figure out. So a lot of what we're really coming, sort of coming back to is the sense of personal responsibility we each have to take for our own selves. So we, we, we as a group and a group of individuals have to really understand First of all, we we need more positive examples of aging. We need to understand um, what's great about being an older woman, what's powerful about being an older woman, the power you have when you're not like, you know, in the, in the sexy babe category. And, you know, the thing is, if you really look at the sexy babe category, I'm going to say that's like, you know, 15 to 55 or something, right? Really, there's probably only 10% of those women that are really getting the benefit of whatever that is. The rest, you know, who are just naturally whatever that model, whatever that, you know, standard is. But women are fighting to be that. And the women who are, you know, considered naturally sexy or whatever, they're, they're just as, in, they have the, it's almost more pressure for them because they're in that boat. So I just think that um, the whole idea of, you know, being, being the socially, you know, the socially accepted model of what sexy women are is a problem for all women of all ages. And that when you get older, you are liberated from it. Um, but I think I think we need to talk about that too. 
Well, I think you are, what you're talking about is very external. It's about the external messages and the societal um, uh, constructs that have been created around this. But I have a post-it note here that says, I deserve to feel amazing. And it's one of the challenges that I've given the members in my community. I believe that women and men are waiting for a permission slip that says, I deserve to feel amazing. Hmm. And whatever amazing means to you, and I hope that it means a lot of the things about how you feel inside about the person that you are, etc., etc. Right? Exactly. But if we could bring that back to the menopause conversation, um, you've done this so well in kind of creating a full circle today. And that is that we put off learning about it. So we've got delayed education. We've got poor quality of information because it's so laden with myths, misconceptions and media innuendo. And um, we're not actually as a society, we're not really great at being proactive. We mm. think, oh, uh, if, mm. if a problem comes up, if I hit a pothole on this journey to menopause and beyond, I'll go see a doctor and a doctor will know how mm. to fix me. Mm. And that is absolutely not the language that I like to use mm. in the menopause chicks community. It's about you deserve to feel amazing. Yes, you're not alone. We've got your back, um, but it's really up to you to get informed and to choose the journey that's right for you. Right, right, right. There was one area that we didn't really get into. We only have uh, four minutes left, and um, I want to make sure that I want that you, we get the information out about menopause chicks before we get and Radio Free Brooklyn. But um, how to talk to your partners? Do yeah. people do that enough, or how do you do that? Yeah, it's funny. I get asked a lot, um, you know, when are you going to write a book about men for men that men can read, that my husband can read, that my partner can read? And I'm like, I just did. Mm-hmm. There's no special information or conversation that's different, uh, regardless of your gender. It's just talking about it and being really open. Um, and, you know, in, in some cases, in heterosexual relationships, I do know that it does help to say to men, look, this is what I'm experiencing. I have hormone fluctuations. You know that feeling you get in your stomach when you ride a roller coaster? Well, that's my life right now. But I want you to know that I'm smart and I'm savvy and I'm, I'm building a team and I'm finding the right information because I want to feel amazing. And I don't know a partner in the world that isn't going to say, I want you to feel amazing too or think that. I love that. Thank you, Shirley. So um, give us your information. We, I've got one minute for you. Give us your information on where people can find out more, join your community or all that stuff. Thank you. Yeah, you can join the Menopause Chicks community. It's at menopausecommunity.com. And I'm at Menopause Chicks everywhere on social media. Great. Um, okay. So, um, Shirley, stick around after I get off the air. and we'll We'll talk more about this. Um, cause I, I want to hear what I want to talk to you and I can, and you know what folks, if you go to, uh, you can, you can, uh, check in with Shirley yourself and you know what you guys should all take personal responsibility 
ask about menopause, talk about menopause. I don't care who you are, how old you are, what sex you are. Just, you know, start thinking about it. And we, and also, we, I mean, older women are fucking amazing. Get to know some, if you're not an older woman, if you don't know any older women, get to know them because they are truly liberated. They are liberated from the responsibilities that uh, plague, you know, plague, plague younger women, child, children, periods, Tampax, all that stuff. So anyway, I just want to say, um, you know, thanks a lot for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. I am here every Thursday, two to three live. Uh, Dr. Lisa, the self-proclaimed psychotherapist on Dr. Lisa gives a shit. Um, you know what? It would be really great if you if you checked us out, okay? Just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Um, we have so much information and so much going on. And also sign up for our newsletter, all right? It's really, um, you know, you can really keep in touch with what's going on with um, all our hosts and stuff. We have over 70 sh- shows, most of them live. We got music, we got talk, we got everything. So 